Hello and welcome to Who's Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we're talking about Minari today. Did you know anything about Minari? I've never heard of it. No, the title refers to, the title is a name of water celery, yeah. as we call it, although I don't think we really know the plant all that much. It's a Korean plant. And the film is about Koreans in America in 1980, uh, particularly uh, a Korean mother and father and their two kids who mm. speak English, have American accents, but Korean is the language spoken throughout most of the film. And the film is based on uh, writer-director Lee Isaac Chung's own childhood, mm. which I think you can see in the fact that I would say the childhood of the two kids is really nicely observed. Beautiful, yeah. Feels like a real, you know, these are real kids and these are real childhood experiences, mm. I think. Um, so the dad is played by um, Stephen Yeun, who has to be the best-known actor in the whole thing. Yes. It's, a, it's quite a small budget film. It's $2 million it cost. He and his wife move from California to Arkansas, to the Ozarks, I think. Mm. They want to start a farm. Well, he wants to start a farm. And the wife isn't too happy about that. And it's a kind of... It's these, it's these Korean immigrants chasing the American dream, right? Yeah, I wouldn't even say chasing the American dream, actually. It's these Korean immigrants making a different life for themselves in another country. And um, the film is full of little observations that like I related to. I mean, I'm an immigrant kid. You know, so kind of a lot of those conversations, those interactions, the grandmother, you know, the meeting with the, uh, yeah, the other Americans, yeah, the uh, white people. Mm. Yeah. Um, all of that really resonated with me. Yeah. It kind of, it, I felt it probably would. Yeah. It really, it really <laughs> rang, rang true uh, to me. Uh, so it isn't so much that they're following the American dream, I don't think. It's just that they're trying to uh, imagine and construct a better life than they left behind mm. yeah, in the old country. Uh, because, you know, you have the father saying, you know, life was very hard, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think it's really beautifully observed. I think um, I also, well, while I was thinking, because it's very, very funny, mm -hmm. Uh, and I found this very moving at the end as well. But um, what I observed watching it was how nice it was to see a story that isn't about grand things. Yeah, that is that is kind of you know just about ordinary people trying to make a life. Yeah, so it's not mm -hmm. planets colliding. It's not solving the great crime. It's not even. A traumatic event in someone's life like a rape or a murder or mm. you know actually the things that films tend to be about and which shows what a narrow range American cinema in particular but you know others as well have about you know what stories they conceive of as exciting and dramatic and mm. worth telling because you know in many ways this is kind of just a very s simple story yeah, yeah absolutely uh, so you know what matters here is I suppose you know, the truth with which it's told, the style in which it's told, you know, and the many observations that it kind of brings up that, you know, an audience may connect with as relevant to their own life, yeah. So I thought that was, like, wonderful to see. That, to me, is where the strength of the film is. 
is in the how you can relate what you see to your own life and you can recognize what you see in your own life actually as the film became more dramatic i started to get a little bit bored with it no uh, maybe ironically because actually the, the more interesting stuff was when life was moving along and as you say, like not a lot was happening. They, they were integrating grandma into the family. She's moved over from South Korea, and grandma's trying to bond with David, the youngest, who's maybe five or six years old. Yes, um, that kind of stuff was. That, that's where the film said it's funniest, and it's where I felt it was, in some sense, the truest. I guess maybe that's because I could see myself in that more than in the rest of the film. Perhaps um, I don't know. I also loved. Um, the bits where you were bored, where you say kind of you you lost interest a bit, mm. um, I really love because you know I, I think seen from an immigrant perspective, here's this poor man who's gone through so much, right? He's he's moved countries, yeah. He's left everything behind, gone into a, a you know a completely different world, has been working and saving, looking at chickens' asses his whole life, right? And then he's not even allowed to have one little dream, mm. which is, you know, to try out the farm. Yeah. Mm. So actually, I think, you know, the stuff about the grandmother setting fire to the barn, yeah, is really necessary to have, yeah, that aspect of the story told. And also, um, I think a very, you know, kind of, um, it's beautifully observed in those moments. Yeah, the tensions between the couple, the threats of leaving, but, mm. you know, what do you do if you leave? Is the family also robbing him of his one little dream? Yeah, mm. uh, and why is he made to choose between them? I mean, I think all of those issues are kind of, you know, important and ones that resonate and true and that it needs that last bit. It does, I think, and it needs, it needs the characters to be tested. Yes in that way and their dreams to be tested or, or, or their relationships to be tested but I did find that just less interesting maybe a little bit more conventional even and that was less interesting to me well what I loved about those bits that I brought out and that I thought were interesting and significantly different uh, were that it's not the whole house you know they don't lose everything it's no, just the, the barn, barn. Mm. right and of course it has the produce and there's something very moving about a man risking his life, you know, for a couple of aubergines and a butternut squash, right? Like, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you can see how important that is to him. I think it's also very important that that allows the wife then to go and save his dream. Mm. Yeah, because, you know, and then it kind of gives him the opportunity to choose her over the vegetables, right? Yeah. So I think kind of it fulfills all of those, all of those functions. And of course, it's the spark to the reconciliation of the grandmother and the grandson, yeah? Yes. And uh, the family comes back together at the end. That's um, right. It's funny, I was reading actually about the plant minari, because apparently it comes back better and stronger in its second year. It dies and then comes back stronger. And I think you can see that, like, th that's the end of the film, right? They've been through mm. the ringer, they've moved to Arkansas, it's gone well, it's gone badly, they've lost the barn. Grandma's had a stroke, you know, things have gone quite badly, but they're going to come back better right at the end when the, when the Minari that Grandma planted is doing well, mm. you know, and that's the final scene of the film. You just There's this moment of hope in that. Mm. You know, the Minari's doing well, it's coming back stronger, and so will the family. Mm. I think one of the things that I really loved about the film is that the interactions with... Um, 
I don't want to say white people because I want to make it a broader immigrant thing. So, you know, and of course, like I'm white, so I never thought of, of you know, uh, kind of Canadians as 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 white people when I was growing up. But they were more like uh, I don't know. Canadians, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah, and you, can't, uh, and you can't call them Native Americans because it's not the same. Not. <laughs> but right. the Americans who are already there, yeah, well, the established, right, yeah, kind of uh, middle class, well-to-do, completely integrated people. Whereas you know you're the foreigner who's exactly. jutted into all of this. So I like very much the way that this film depicts it. Go on. Well, first of all, they're not. I mean, there's a wariness, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but you know, they're, they're not like the enemy, right? They're not like these evil monsters no, or people who mistreat them and, or whatever. And actually, one of the things that I really loved about the film, which is very different than maybe more cosmopolitan cinema, is the way that it makes allowances for difference, right? For eccentricities, for, for people not being like you and nonetheless being kind, good people. So, for example, here the religious fanatic, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not that his religiosity is um, shared, but it's just accepted, right? He is like that. And, yeah. you know, kind of the mother shares in it a bit. You know, the father is like, keep that away from me, you know, in relation to the religion. But the person himself is treated with dignity and respect, whereas, you know, in maybe more sophisticated films, those people are treated with real disdain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I kind of, I really love that about this film. And there are no, what I would have expected, um, racist confrontations. No, you know? there's a, like, so, a couple of... Well, there, so there is... The film doesn't ignore the no. potentiality of that, right? You know, you get the little hints of it, but it's not the end of the world either. Well, so the interactions with white people of that nature are at worst kind of ignorant and embarrassing. So yes. the thing with the kids. Yes. Right. Where That's what I was thinking of. Exactly. So the young girl meets this other young girl, a uh, white girl, and she starts making noises and says, stop me when I say something in Korean. And she starts making noises, which starts off with the most racist. Yeah. So it's, you know, ching chong, ching chong. literally <laughs> starts with that. And actually, and eventually she hits upon two syllables that are a Korean word. So you're like, you know, she's not being flat out racist, but it's it's a really ignorant way to have that interaction. But you can also see how that's just something that kids kind of do and think, and you would actually become friends with that person over time. You mm -hmm. know, it didn't start. It's not an antagonistic thing. Yes. It's it's ignorant. Yes, and that is kind of the worst that the film has of that. And actually, when when you first meet Paul, who's the religious fanatic you mention, and he's being employed on the farm, he's been in the Korean War, yes. and he brings it up. And so I'm going. To, actually, I don't know enough about the Korean War to know whether I should have expected that to be a positive or negative thing, you know. Mm. And it and it comes out as a positive thing. He likes Korea. He's got this old Korean money in his wallet. He likes that the, the people have come there. It's, Praise God for the arrival of the Lee family. I think it is yes, Lee family. But it's a it's a it's a positive thing only because of the forbearance of the Lee family. I mean, he was at war killing Koreans. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so even though uh, I am assuming, well, that this family must be from South Korea, right? Mm. Um, but uh, nonetheless, the, it's interesting because, you know, at the beginning of the film, all of those incidents raise uh, tension, mm -hmm. you know, uh, 
but the film doesn't go there. You know, it chooses to go into, uh, mm. um, I don't know, a, a, a brighter path. So it's not that the film ignores the potentiality of all of those things. And certainly, I'm sure if you're growing up Korean in Arkansas, you will confront some kind of racism inevitably, right? Well, it's possible. See, I was going to say the opposite, actually. It's possible that this is actually reflective of what it is to grow up as a kid and be protected from that kind of stuff by your parents. That's very interesting because, you know, you definitely, through most of it... No, actually, that's not true. Because one of the things I was remarking, and I was trying to think about how to talk about it, Mm. but the film has this very interesting shifts in point of view. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where, you know, all of a sudden you're realizing, oh, this is a kid's point of view on this. You know, this Mm. is a kid seeing this, right? And then it's the grandmother, and then it's like kind of an objective, yeah, Mm. uh, shot. And you do also move from the father and the mother's perspective and understanding on things. The only one who gets left out is really the sister. Yeah, she doesn't get much of a look in. Yeah. (laughs) But actually, so these shifts in point of view where you feel you're sharing the perspective, it's not a literal... Well, sometimes it is literally a point of view, yeah, a child seeing something. But but I mean more the film's point of view is sometimes aligned with the child, sometimes aligned with the parents and so on. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was kind of, you know, very elegant and seamless, you know, because you do get a wider view through these shifting perspectives on the developing action. Hmm. But I think what I, what I mean by this reflecting what it is to be a child growing up is the writer-director actually growing up at this time, you know, his experience may have been very positive, actually free of these kind of confrontations, and so they don't make their way into his film. I don't believe that. Mm. I mean, having been an immigrant kid myself and having had a very happy childhood, you know, uh, you know, you have a happy childhood, but those kinds of racisms are things you overcome. I mean, you know, we used to get beaten up on the streets by gangs of kids just because we were foreigners. So, I mean, it might be difficult to do in Arkansas, but I'm sure you don't grow up in Arkansas without having some incident or other. Yeah, sure. Still. Uh, yes, and I wasn't a visible minority in the way that he would have been. I mean, I do think that there is something about numbers. Okay. So I do feel that minorities only become a threat when they're... A social formation or a large enough social formation. Mm-hmm. I mean, kind of, you know, an individual family isn't necessarily seen as threatening. It's seen maybe as exotic and some worth knowing or whatever. You know, when you have like 3,000 Koreans coming into your town, that might be a different <laughs> issue, right? They are the only Koreans in this. Yeah, uh, well, you meet another few Koreans in the chick sexing I know, but, place she says, but you don't see are, them. She literally says there are 14 of us. Yeah, and you yeah. don't see them again outside of that. So yeah. in, in, the, in wider society, they're not they're present in the film. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Although, mind you, I mean, I, do, I did see. Well, I, just, I saw uh, some phone video the other week of some black family in. Um, I don't know, I forget the states, one of the southern states that was being harassed by their white neighbours and they were the only kind of black family there. Like, it's it's still... Yes. It could still be very fucking nice. And actually maybe, and this is to draw a line between different racisms, but maybe it depends on the race sometimes. And, you know, some course, races are not seen as threatening as others. Of course, that, yeah. there is that as well. Um, but I think what I wanted to say is that it's not that these things are absent from the film, yeah, there are little hints, but that's not where the film's focus is. No, absolutely not. Um, and 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 um, and I loved it. I mean, it's full of 
it's it's full of observations. I mean, I thought, for example, it's so interesting that, you know, when the grandmother moves in, she's made to share the bedroom with um, the boy, mm-hmm. right? Um, which I thought was interesting because, you know, for example, in my own case, you know, it was with the girl, <laughs> which makes more sense to me. But in your case, was the girl younger? Was your sister younger than you? Yes. Right. Maybe that's maybe it's the sharing with the youngest person. Ah, that could be. <laughs> Because David's younger than his sister here. Yeah, so that might be. But the other thing is that the boy is treated as a little prince and given the bed, and the (laughs) grandmother is given the floor. Uh, My grandmother had a bed. Uh, um, But then when the grandmother gets ill, she takes over the bed, Mm -hmm. right? So it is like this taking over of the boy's space, yeah? Yeah. Um, did Did you see the decision get made as to who was taking the bed in the first place? I don't remember. Did the grandma give it up to the kid? I don't think it's something that you're told or that is discussed. You just see. Yeah. Yeah. Because the thing is, the thing that's interesting about grandma is, and David says this at one point, you're not a real grandma, right? Yeah. And she is obviously literally genetically the grandma, but she doesn't act like it. Yeah. Okay. So David says, grandmas aren't supposed to swear. They're not supposed to watch wrestling. They're not supposed to this, that, and the other. It's all stuff that grandma you're does. Supposed to make me cookies. Exactly. <laughs> right? So she's this fun grandma that that is actually you know, wearing men's underwear. Mm. One of the things. She's not behaving like you would expect of a grandma and maybe kind of giving up the bed to the younger son because she loves the hell out of that kid. Yeah. And you see it every, every time you see him. Um, and they have struggles kind of bonding. Mm. But, you know, to me, my assumption at least was, oh, she's given the bed to the kid. She'll, like, she's like, I've slept in worse places than this. I'm having the floor. Possibly, but we don't... <laughs> I mean, that is not part of the story. No. What is part of the story is... Ideas of what a you know what a grandmother is and should be you know and why this grandmother is great yeah and the developing bond between the grandmother and the grandson mm. you know um, I thought all of that was just uh, lovely and the child is a so beautiful and b so good yeah yeah and yeah. Um, and he's so well taken care of right the image of him you know this young Korean kid. You know, wearing those shorts and those cowboy boots. I mean, that is an image to remember, right? And which makes so much sense. I mean, this young boy is going to grow up to be an American, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so I kind of, I just love that image. It's kind of, it's wonky and out of place and, you know, Mm. and yet it kind of completely makes sense. I loved uh, the performance by, who's who's the actor? Which actor? Uh, Who played the father. Stephen Young. I mean, he was marvelous, mm. you know, because he's so stoic and he's got a certain kind of elegance, actually, you know, mm. um, and he conveyed all the, you know, the silence, the repression, the kind of machismo, really, about, you know, wanting to have all of the family's problems on his shoulders alone, mm. you know, the way he's, he stands rigidly. And you also see, like, I mean, his love for, for his family and his children, but also a kind of an inner need or, yeah, kind of a, a propulsion. Uh, I thought that, you know, that moment where he's worked so hard he can't lift his arms and, you know, the wife washes his hair and, you know, the way that the hair was mm. uh, falling, kind of just uh, really powerful. Mm. Um, I thought it was a beautiful performance, actually. Yeah, good. That's good. <laughs> He's very good. He was in. Um, he was in. Sorry to bother you. In fact, which I was saying to you just before, I watched the other day again. Uh-huh. He's the. He's the sort of one of the union Ising agitators. Okay. How interesting. 
Because, you know, I see also that he's been in that, what's the zombie television show? The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead. Mm, that's which, what he's best known for, I think. Yeah. So, obviously, I have seen that. But he's never made an impression as strongly uh, as, uh, as mm. in this film for me. The film is very smart about how it reveals things. So, for example, you don't know the names of the protagonists. It's Jacob and Monica. But actually, the names are not revealed until almost near the end of the film. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, you get the sense father, mother, yeah, Korean. You have components of their identity. <laughs> yeah. But they're not named until the end. Mm. You know, and I thought that was both interesting and significant. Yeah. And maybe that again comes from your childhood. You know, mum and dad, you don't call them Jacob no. and Monica. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. So I think kind of it's a film that uh, resonates because it's both very particular, you know, but I think kind of lots of different people will identify with the story that's being conveyed. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I, thought, I thought it was a bit bland, but, you know. I didn't. I was really engaged with it throughout. I laughed throughout, and I was very moved at the end. Um... And all of the scenes, the scenes in the hospital and so on, worked for me. I mean, you know, I would say that, you know, visually, it's not the most extraordinary mm. film I've seen. I mean, the film, in a way, is has almost no visual poetry, right? Kind of everything, pretty much everything is conveyed through characterization. Though, you know, there is very good use of the camera and very significant use of the camera. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not, it's not just grabbed and left. Shots of framed with artistic intent yes and they're controlled you know you can tell the camera's moving in it's always moving in for a reason mm. right and or or to convey a particular perspective on what you are seeing so it's very good that way but i think that could be better and i did think that the conceptualization of the grandmother was a bit cliched yeah yeah you know kind of a card playing kind of boys you know, girl, kind of grandma. <laughs> the rascally grandma is a kind of a cliche mm. in culture. But I think this is better than most iterations of, of <laughs> that trope. Yeah. Mind you, what grandma isn't a cliche? You know, if she were, had been baking cookies, that would also be a cliche. Of course. And if, <laughs> and if she'd been stern, that would have been a cliche. Mm. What, what grandma is original these days, Jose? Well, maybe one played by a man. <laughs> Turning tricks to support the family, I don't know. One played by Nathan Lane, maybe. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, I highly recommend this. Yeah, I, I kind of recommend it. It's, a, it's good. Yeah, I it didn't blow my hair off, but it's good. I, I'd go further than that because, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think I haven't had a, as enjoyable a time watching a film for a while. Even though some of the films that I've seen, I, I would argue, are better. Mm. Yeah. But the experience of viewing this was, to me, kind of almost a joyous one. Ah, that's nice. It was pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, you know, from joyous to pleasant, uh, our verdict on Minari. <laughs> so, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter, at Eavesdrop Movies. 
And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>